All right. <clears throat> so, open up to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. We are starting in chapter 2. Yay! <laughs> We've been in chapter 1 for a year and a half. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> We're, I was going to be in here until the rapture comes, you know, and just, just kind of see how that, long that takes. But anyway... Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to go through the first 10 verses. Paul says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we all too formerly lived in the lust of our flesh and of, uh, the des- in desi- uh, in indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of la- wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. All right, we've been studying in the book of Ephesians, and Paul, in the last section of chapter 1, he says, I will, I'm going to be praying for you that God will give you a knowledge, a growing knowledge of, of a few things. One is your, um, your hope in his calling. Uh, we looked at that, and we used Abraham as an example. Uh, and the second, that he would come to understand the greatness of his inheritance in the saints. And the third was the greatness of his power towards us who believe. What Paul is going to do now is then piggyback on what he just talked about at the end of chapter 1 and then said, and apply it to us. Here's what he said at the end of chapter 1. He said that this power is the power that raised Christ from the dead. And verse 20 of chapter 1 and seated him at his right hand, far above all rule and authority, and put all things, he put all things in subjection under his feet, and gave him as all things over the church. And then Paul says this. He says, Christ was dead, but God made him alive, raised him up, seated him at the right hand of the Father, over, and put him in authority over everyone else. All other spiritual entities are below him. And then he gave Christ his head to the church. Then he turns and he says, now you were dead. He made you alive, is going to be his main point. His main point in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, his main point is this. You were dead, God made you alive. And not only God made you alive, he raised you up with Christ. He seated you with Christ. In fact, he says that. He raised you up in verse 6. Seated, he seated us with him in the heavenly places. And then he says, he goes on the result of that, of the good works. So, 
as I'm reading this, as I'm thinking about this section, there's a, there's a, there's a, uh, there's a verse that's standing out, and it's verse 4. Verse 4 is the turning point of this, of this section. Verses 1 through 10, verse 4 is the turning point. And it begins with the two words, but God. That's the turning point. Before this, uh, life is not so great, but then God joins the picture. And the title of the sermon is called, The Difference God Makes. Okay? The Difference God Makes. Let's look at, first, look at the first section. Is that first of all, we were dead. Verse 1 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. We were dead. Uh, scripture talks about the fact that we inherited the sin of Adam. I mean, Adam is in, e, in, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Chapter 3 is the fall. He falls into sin and the rest of us are affected. And we say, no, that's not fair, you know. But it's going to tie into our benefit because later on, when Christ does something righteous, it applies to our account as well. We were dead. This is a, an idea of spiritual death. We were dead. We were unable to uh, relate to God. This was spiritual death. Before we became Christians, we had no reason to change. We had no, no sensitivity to the voice of God. Before we were Christians, we were dead. In other words, we had no. Re- we were. We could have been alive spe- uh, physically, mentally. We could have been in shape. We could have been PhDs <laughs> and still spiritually dead. We could have been. Um, some of us were like that. Um, some of us were going on our merry way in our in our life, carrying on with life, not realizing we even needed needed God. Um, maybe not even wanting God. We were dead to God. Um, God says to Adam and Eve, he says, if you give this tree, uh, this tree this, uh, the, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. He meant, of course, that they would uh, become spiritually death, dead, and spiritual death has to do with separation from the presence of God. He says the same idea in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. He says, and you were dead in your trespass, you were dead in your sins and in your uncircumcised sinful nature, he says. He says, in verse, he says in verse 1, he says, in your trespass. What's that? A trespass means that you have crossed the line. That's not supposed to be crossed. You've deviated off the path, uh, and you trespassed. Um, in fact, uh, I have a... You've made a false step. You've, you've crossed the boundary. You've, you've, you've wandered a certain way. When I was... Uh, I don't know, how old was I? In high school? I got lost. Oh, that's an embarrassing story. My, I'm glad my dad's not here. Because <laughs> I got lost. So we went camping one time, and uh, I took my stepsisters out uh, for a hike. And my, of course, I'm, I, did, I never watched, I, I watch Survivor Man now because of this, you know. <laughs> At this time, I didn't watch Survivor Man. And uh, we got lost. Uh, we left at 9 o'clock in the morning, and of course, I'm looking for I'm looking for a creek. There's no creek. We're in, we're in Payson in the woods. Are you going to miss Payson? has thick, thick woods. Um, we wandered and wandered, and they didn't find us until 9 o'clock at night. And was a high school kid with two young girls, two young stepsisters. And they found us. They got the dogs to sniff our clothes, and they found us right away. Well, we got lost. Well, that's what transgressions like, is you're kind of wandering. You're off, you're off the beaten path. You're going the wrong way. Um, sins, the word there is hamartia, and that means missing the mark. Instead of saying you've gone 
left or right, you're actually trying to hit the target. <clears throat> and hamartia is sin, it means you fall short of the target. You missed it. Some of us, like myself, try really, really hard at doing something. You feel like you don't measure up. I'm trying to be good, but I'm not measuring up. I'm trying to be perfect, but I'm not measuring up. It's like you're trying to cross a 10,000-mile-wide river just by you running and jumping. You're not going to get there. You're going to miss the mark. Paul says we were dead because we, are, we missed the mark and we transgressed. We were, we were, um, we were dead to God. Um, look at Romans chapter 5 real fast, just real fast. I won't take you to a lot of scripture tonight because um, I'm just wanting to keep on track with our time and, and our scripture. But Romans chapter 5, verse 12, says, Therefore, Romans five twelve. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin... And so death spread to all men because all sin. Now the idea here is that we were in Adam either by virtue of the fact he's our representative or virtue of the fact that we are in his loins, let's say. Okay? There's representation of Adam for the whole rest of mankind. We were in Adam in that sense. When Adam sinned, we sinned. And because Adam sinned, then death came to Adam and he goes on from there. You uh, skip on down to verse 19. It says, For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the, one, uh, the obedience to the one, many will be made righteous. He talks about Christ there. So we fell, we fell short. We had spiritual death. We were sinful. Go back to Ephesians. Paul also says that we are slaves. Verse 2 in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. Now stop right there. What Paul's going to do here in verse 2, he's going to mention this word walk. And the walk means it's a lifestyle. Okay, he's just not walking the park. It's a lifestyle. He's going to start with the way we walked before Christ. Skip down to verse 10. Go back to, verse, go to Ephesians 2, verse 10 now. Look what he ends with there now. He says, you are, uh, you are his workmanship, uh, workmanship, that God prepared beforehand these good works that we would what? Walk in them. There's a difference. There's the difference of the walk before Christ and the difference of the walk after Christ. Before Christ, we were walking the wrong direction, lost in the wilderness, falling short, right? Um, and that was our lifestyle. And at this point, before we came to Christ, Paul says you were dead in your sins and you were slaves. Look at verse 2. In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air and of the spirit that is now working uh, in the sons of disobedience. And we are also children of wrath and we are also uh, in bondage to, to, the, to the flesh. Here's the thing. We are were, we were slaves to the devil, the world, the devil, and the flesh. Okay, Three things that pose us. Now think about this. When he says we were enslaved to the, the world... We were, we were in the sort of the stream that the world is in. And we thought like the world. We had the same mentality of the world. We saw the perspective of the world. And that was us, right? We were carried away that, that way. There's a reason why the world hates Christianity because Christianity is, is opposed to the world. The world says, live for yourself, right? The world says, 
climb the ladder. The world says, I'm in it for myself and, you know, my way or the highway, right? I did it my way, that kind of thing. That's what the world says. And, the, and God says and Christ says, that's the wrong direction. The world hates to hear that. That's why the world will accept any other religion. The world will say, we'll accept all these religions but Christianity because Christianity says Christ is the only way. And that's an affront to the world because the world says, no, 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 all the ways are to God. Whatever way you want to go is, your, is, is the way you can go. And we say, no, Christ is, claims exclusivity to, to him and say, I am the only way to the Father. The world hates that. <clears throat> Does that make sense? We were slaves to that. We thought that way. We thought, who are these, who are these Christians that, that think, they are so arrogant to, to say um, they're the only way? Who do they think they are, right? How arrogant of them to say they're the only way. That's, that's so insensitive. That's the way the world thinks. We were slaves to that way of thinking. We were also slaves to... Uh, to, to, to the devil himself. Look, look for exa- example, what Paul says. You see in verse 2 it says, we walked in, a, in accordance with the course of this world. Does somebody else have, have a different translation? It does say according to. Any volunteers? Mine says, you walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power there. Following. Following the course of the world. Okay, the word, the word there is kata. It's a Greek preposition. That means according to, but here in this context, it actually means under the control of. Under the, um, uh, the conformity to, uh, um, in, influenced by. We walked according to the control of the world. Paul later will, will talk about walking in, by the control of the Holy Spirit, Right? Here he talks about being walking, peripatao, by living one's life according to the world and the world's standards. Paul, uh, or God, will, uh, earlier said to the Israelites in Leviticus 18, don't turn there, let me just, he says to Israel at Sinai, he says, do not walk or live as they do in the land of Canaan. That is, don't, look, don't become like the nations you are inhabiting. You're going in here and you're living this land. Don't live this way according to their lifestyle. So we were under the control of the way the world does things. See, the people in the world think that they're free when they're not free. How many of you guys watch The Matrix? Okay, this is a perfect illustration. The Matrix, it's like... The main character lives in the normal world and everything around him looks normal, but then he discovers it's all really controlled by somebody outside. And he escapes that world. He realizes these people are living in fantasy land. It's a good illustration. People in the world don't realize that they are being controlled. They think they're free. They think they're independent. In actuality, they're, they're slaves. That's what we were. We were slaves too. We were slaves to that way of thinking. We, caught, we got ourselves caught up into living for self, self-focus. Even if we wanted to change ourselves, we couldn't. You know, some religions, almost every single religion in this world is an attempt to improve self, right? In order to improve self, you have to march upside down on glass 500 times and then you'll improve self or something like that. Or you have to cut this out of your diet or you have to 
you know, fill in the blank, right? And it's all this attempt to prove self, and it's just you churning up the same thing within you. Nothing new is in you. You're dead, and you are lost, and you're in control, and you're just on the, on the, on the trampoline. But it feels good because you think you're doing something. You're following their courses, you're, you're going to their things, and there's no power in that. Does that make sense? We were under the control, first of the world, secondly, of the devil, he says in verse 2, according to the prince of the power of the air, that same, power, that same prince of the power of the air, in Jewish, uh, terminology, Jewish understanding, they characterized the air as a place where the spiritual beings lived. In fact, they thought that uh, they would have these, um, they thought in- evil angels would live in the air. Um, there's different verses and and. Uh, and um, uh, understandings of that, but if one example that comes to my mind is, is uh, the book of Daniel, where Daniel's praying, and he gets an answer finally from Gabriel, and he says, listen, I, I want to answer your prayer, but the prince of Persia, that angel that's over Persia, stopped me. There's a battle here. There's a spiritual, spiritual battle. The word air is the word that's used for the, the non-seen realities, sort of in the atmosphere, let's say, Okay. The prince of the power of the air is the devil. Look what he says. He says, the spirit, that same spirit is now working in the sons of disobedience. So you have a spirit that's working. You have an influence of the world. Then you have an influence of the spirit, which is the devil, into the people of the world. So not only are there people of the world slaves to the world, they're slaves to the devil. Now think about this. If you wanted to set yourself free from that, you could not. Without Christ, if you wanted to change yourself, you could not. If you wanted to, to change morally, you could not. You could become a moral person, but you're still a dead person. You're a morally dead person. Some of the most moral people I know are spiritually dead people. I have Mormons on my one side, and I got Hindus on my other side, and they're wonderful people, but they're spiritually dead. I pray for them both. I do. Verse 3. Among them, we too all li- formerly lived in, lust, in the lust of our flesh, in desi- in desi- indulging in the desires, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. We were enslaved by the flesh. The flesh controlled us. The desires of the flesh controlled us. We are, our passions controlled us. We could not change those those lustful things. We had no power to overcome those things. We were dead in that. Our self-discipline didn't work. In fact, look at um, uh, look at Second Corinthians chapter ten real fast. Second Corinthians chapter ten, and I think this is what I'm looking for. Oh, Second uh, Corinthians ten and verse. I just hit a button on my little iPad thing, and now my page is different. So give me a second here. Second Corinthians. And I, I, just, I just discovered a new thing on my app, so this is kind of cool, but it's not the right time to discover new things in your app when you're trying to teach, so that's okay. So give me a second here. Oh, my. I just lost my... Here we go. Uh, okay. Second Corinthians 10. It better be worth it. You know that I'm taking you guys all this time to turn... It better be worth it. <laughs> I don't know what's... Here you go. Oh, chapter 10, verse 2. 
Oh, that's okay. That uh, it's okay verse. It's a good verse, but um, chapter ten, verse two. I ask that when I am present, I need not be bold with confidence, which I proposed, and uh, to be courageous against some who regard us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk to the flesh, the the word flesh there is it, it means the influence of your life. It is the um, it's the it's the there's that tendency of your of of your being to want to rebel against God. The flesh doesn't just necessarily refer to your skin, right? That when we think of flesh. When he's talking about flesh, it's it, he's talking about that that part of you that wants to rebel against God. And the person who is spiritually dead ha- only has that. He does not have the Holy Spirit dwelling in him. He has he has other things working against him. Romans talks about the fact that while we were in the flesh, we had sinful desires aroused within us by the law. Um, and uh, um, the flesh is always presented as something that is against God. It's always presented as, as something like our own strength, our own uh, desires. Um, the, the rabbis would say that the flesh was that evil inclination towards uh, towards evil, and the only uh, the only remedy was studying of the Torah. So, if you wanted to battle against that evil inclination, you had to story the Torah. You had to study the Torah. You had to study the law. That's how you got out of that. Well, that wasn't good enough, because if that was good enough, we wouldn't need the Holy Spirit in, to begin dwelling. God says, "No, that's not good enough. You need a new spirit." Does that make sense? Um, go back to Ephesians. Ephesians 2. So we were, we were dead. We were in a bad place. We were dead and we were slaves. Slaves to the world, the way of thinking. Slaves to the devil and the spirit that's working. Slaves to the flesh and the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And lastly, we were condemned. To top it all off, we were, the wrath of God was upon us. Now think about this. The wrath of God is already upon people who are not believers. That's a scary place to be. Now, when I think of wrath, sometimes what enters our mind is a, is a short-fused God, right? That is not what is meant by wrath. Wrath really is not... God doesn't fly off the handle. God is not short-fused. In fact, the Scripture says that He is long-suffering. And the Hebrew word means long-nosed. And the idea there is that He takes a long time for His nose to flare up. Okay, That's what the Hebrew concept means. He's long-nosed. He's very long-suffering. Um, but the idea of the wrath of God is not like a temper, like God's throwing a temper. I'm, I'm going to get you guys, right? Because you're a bunch of sinners, right? He does, that's not God. He's not um, spiteful. It is, it, what wrath is, is God's protection and upholding of his righteousness and holiness. That is why, in fact, when Christ was on the cross and the sins of the world were placed on him, even God the Father, for a brief moment of time, had to turn away from the Son, right? My, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that point, the sins of the world were placed on Christ. Even with his Son carrying the sins of the world, God still had to hold up his righteousness and his, and his, and his wrath was now poured out on Christ. That's why the good news for a Christian is that we, don't, we won't experience wrath because Christ experienced the wrath for us. Praise God, right? 
Christ experienced the only, we won't experience the wrath of God. We might experience the wrath of people. We might experience the wrath of our dog, the wrath of our spouse, the wrath of our boss, the wrath wrath of people that don't like us, but we'll never experience the wrath of God. The wrath of God has been poured out on Christ. You don't want to be caught in the wrath of God. You want to be safe in the wrath of God, so the choice is yours. Let Christ take the wrath for you, or you'll take the wrath for, for yourself. And that's a, I don't know, to me it's a no-brainer. <laughs> Christ, take it for me. Thank you, Lord, you know. He says, we are by nature uh, children of wrath. Now go back. To, we're, you guys are with me in Ephesians 2? Ah, oh, my favorite verses. Verse 4. <clears throat> but God. But God. Okay, so I don't know about you, but... <clears throat> Has your life changed since you met the Lord? <clears throat> I remember when I met the Lord when I was young. My mom's here, which is great, because my mom doesn't know some of the stories I want to tell, you know. But it's cool having your mom here. I first met the Lord probably when I, I, was, I was young. <sighs> my grandmother was, I remember asking her questions about the Lord, and she would ask I would ask, Grandma, I'm sleeping over at house at Grandma's house. And, of course, you know, you get upset at some point and you cry. And then you stop crying. Grandma, why do we stop crying? I don't know how old I was. I was little. And here's my, my grandmother was, I mean, she read a lot, you know. She had stacks of books on her, you know. And, and she said, uh, the Holy Spirit comes us. Oh, wow. Thanks, Grandma. And then we had uh, some friends of the family uh, invite us to a Bible study. And, and uh, the pastor is... You know, they're charismatic and they're speaking in tongues and I don't understand what's going on, but they're asking people if they want to give their hearts to the Lord. And now, of course, I raise my hand and it's a small Bible. It's a Friday night. I still remember, guy was, I still remember what the guy was wearing. He was wearing a red shirt and a black vest. Oh man, this is coming back to me. This is like how many years? I don't remember how And he asked, and I was sitting like in the front row. And he goes, who wants to ask the Lord in their heart? And I raised my hand. And so he came and he, and he, he put his hand on my heart. He put his hand right here. And he said, okay, I want you to close your eyes. I want you to repeat after me and you pray. And then when you're done praying, I'm going to say a prayer. But then I'm going to walk away and it's still going to feel like my hand is there. So I prayed. Then he starts praying. And he walks away. And I, as God is my witness, my eyes were closed. And I thought he was still here. It wasn't until I opened my eyes and I thought he was still, and I felt something. It was just, okay, it was just, that was little things, you know? Introduction to, now, <clears throat> some of us have met the Lord when we were younger, and there was a time in our life when we walked away from the Lord. We said, Lord, it's uh, great, thank you, but no thank you, let me go investigate the world on my own. And we played the prodigal. And we went out and checked out what the world has to offer and, you know, did the sample thing like at Costco, you know, what do you have here, what do you have there, you know? And after a while, it wasn't fun anymore. See, some of you young, some of you young people here, you just might go that route. And I can't control that. I pray to God that you never have to go through certain things that certain people have to go through. But know this. <clears throat> God is gracious. And he's kind. And the things you think are bad at, mo- at home with mom and dad... When you go out into the world, they want to destroy you. 
And I went out to the world too, and I experienced things in the world that I, of course, am ashamed to, 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 to um, talk about, but I'm so glad that there was a point when I said, Lord, that's it, I'm, I'm done, I want, I'm going I'm to come back to you. And you could be in a room full of people, and it could be noise, and he, hear, he will hear that prayer, and he will reach out to you and, and return you back. That's the but God moment. That's the but God moment. See, without God, there's death. Without God, there's chaos. Without God, there's disarray. But with God, there's life. Genesis 1 starts off by saying, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And then it says, And the earth was formless and void. Tohu vabohu. It's a Hebrew phrase. means formless and void. And God spends the next chapter saying, describing how he will form that mass and fill that mass. And sometimes he finds us as non-believers or as Christians who have left the fold and he finds us formless and voidless, right? And he takes us and he shapes us and he forms us and he fills our lives for his purposes. The difference is that before God showed on the scene, nothing happened. The Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters and he could have been hovering for a Okay, before the Spirit of God showed up, it could have been a billionaire. Who knows? Clark maybe knows the age of the earth. I don't know. I wasn't there. Um, But the point is, until God shows up, until God does something, nothing happens. The difference is this. God has to do something to us first, okay? That's sort of my first point, is that the two. God does, it makes the difference to us first. He makes a difference by changing us, by making us alive, right? He says in verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. Okay? Here's a dead person. God makes him alive. The, the theological concept is called regeneration. We know it as being born again. John chapter 3, Jesus says to Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. That's a spiritual birth. That is what verse 4 is describing. We were dead. God made us alive. Now, theologians will argue, when does that happen? Before faith, after faith. You know, Calvinists will say it's done before so that you can place your faith in Christ. And the non-Calvinists will say, no, it's actually afterwards. It doesn't really matter. It's the fact that God's the one who does it. God's the one who makes things that are dead alive. God is the one who makes things that are dead alive. Um, he can breathe life into dead situations. He can breathe life into dead marriages and into dead relationships and into dead fill in the blank. God is the one that can do that. Our church needs the Spirit of God to breathe life into us. We need the Spirit of God because the difference maker here will not be us. It won't be our intellect. It won't be, it won't be our efforts. It won't be how many times we... It will be the Spirit of God being present here, being present within our hearts, in our homes. Now, I'm just going to confess, sometimes at home, I'm not the most spiritual person in the world. I'm a punk to my wife sometimes. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm, sometimes I'm a punk to my wife, my family, okay? I'm just telling you the truth. I can be a, you know, turkey sometimes, right? And, you know, that, and, that's, and that's a challenge, right? Okay, Lord, you, you're... you're how does this work, you know? It's life. But here's the thing is, is I also know that if God can make me spiritually alive, he also can make me spiritually um, 
more like Christ? Because God doesn't just, God doesn't, here's the thing about God, he doesn't just start the process and leave it alone. He's not going to breathe life into you just to leave you on your own. Jesus says, I'm going to leave you, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, who's the Spirit of truth, who's going to guide you in all things. And I don't know about you, but for myself personally, more and more I'm like, Lord, Holy Spirit, I need you. And it used to be, it would be like, once in a while, hey, Lord, I need you for this, you know. I've got an emergency going on. Can you help me out here, you know. Dad, I need some money for college, you know. I'm, I'm running out, you know. But more and more I'm realizing you just don't call God when it's, you know, like big emergencies happen. Now it's like every single day, Lord, I need you. Now it's, no, it's every moment of the day where we have to walk like that. Does that make sense? Look at God's motivation. I, <clears throat> I'm, um, my mouth is dry, so give me a second here. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. So God is merciful. We talked about the wrath of God in the previous verse, but at the same time, he's full of mercy. God, in fact, when God describes himself to Israel, when God describes himself to, to Moses, the first thing he says, he says, compassionate and merciful and full of grace. When you ask God, what is God like? What's the first, when you ask somebody, what's God like? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? What's that? Love, okay. All-knowing. All-knowing. First thing that comes to your mind? Faithful. Faithful. Patient. Patient. Powerful. Powerful. Okay. All those are true. And sometimes people want to say, well, you know, God is sovereign. And he is sovereign. But the first thing he describes about himself is compassionate and gracious. Think about that. Sometimes we're less compassionate and gracious than we think God is, or we think God's less than he is. But he is full of love, full of mercy, full of compassion. That is what, what, what really motivates him. He's motivated by these things. He says to Moses at Sinai, the Lord, the Lord, a God of merciful and gracious, slow to anger and, ast- and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands and forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. He says, Moses, here's what I'm like. I want to hold on to that. I want to hold on to that. What has God done? He's made us alive. You know, our problem is not, it's, our problem wasn't a knowledge problem. And I'll get this. Our problem isn't necessarily that we had to learn more knowledge. Yes, knowledge of God, but not that we had to grow in knowledge. Knowledge wasn't a thing. You can't argue your way into salvation. Yes, you can argue with somebody and hopefully lead them on the path, but the Spirit of God still has to do a work. So yes, you do have to talk with people and hopefully engage with them. In fact, let me just pause this real fast. And let me just, a point of application. Because I'm assuming all of us are Christian here, let's say. But there's people listening who will be listening who aren't Christian. So here's it is. So we know as Christians that those who are in the world are spiritually dead, right? That they're, they're not in Christ. They're not yet in Christ. We know the Spirit of God is the one who has to make them alive. But then where do we come into the picture? So I'm at a restaurant. You go to restaurants, I guess, you know. And I'm at a restaurant, and I'm talking with the waitress. Or actually, I'm reading. I'm reading my little iPad here, and I'm reading, preparing for today. And she says, what are you reading? Now, of course, I have to tell her the truth because, you know, I said, well, I'm reading a commentary. I'm, I'm preparing for a, a, a sermon uh, at pa- uh, pastor at church and besides my other job, you know. 
And then she started asking about, well, I'm, I'm studying Mormonism right now. My, I'm not really religious. My roommate's a Mormon, and, and I don't know much about it. And I'm just, okay, oh, you know. And she goes, but I, I'm not a religious person, you know. So my thought was, how do I go and approach this with somebody? I know the Spirit of God has to do a work in her, but I'm there too, right? I'm, I'm present there too. I'm not... I'm not just going to say, now, Lord, please lead her to yourself and use me as a light just by sitting here and read my iPad. No, you engage with somebody. You talk to them. You do what Jesus did at, at, in John chapter 4, woman at the well. You ask her a question, give me a drink. What? You're talking to me? You're, you're a Jew and I'm a woman and oh, we don't talk. And then she starts, you, know, you go into a conversation, you, you find out where they're at. You don't start with Christianese right off the bat. You find out where they're at. You engage. And I should have said, I'm going to see this. I'm hopefully going to go back to the restaurant someday and say, you know, hey, what's your name again? Can I, I'm going to pray for you because she, she, uh, she had told me that she's looking for another job. You know, a waitress wants to find a different career. I wanted to tell her, hey, I'm going to pray for you. You'll get this job. Something, something that would sort of connect and say, my God is going to, I'm going to call, go to my God and, have him, and see what he does. And I hope to God that, that she gets a job, right? Get this other job she's looking for. My point is, I'm engaging with somebody who is spiritually dead, but trying to reach them where they're at. Does that make sense? Paul goes to Athens. He goes to a, this big marble area called Mars Hill. I've been there before. And he engages with the people there. And he finds out where they're at. You ask, you find where they're at at first. Does that make sense? Okay, that's a whole other sermon series. I just wanted to tack that in. Just the how-to is you find out where they're at and you sort of approach it with where they're at. And you show interest. You say maybe something like, hey, so-and-so, let me pray for you. I would love to pray for you. Can I pray for you? Yes. Next time I see you, tell me what happens. That might get their interest. That might spark something. They might start thinking about, oh, I wonder what this God's like. I wonder what this person's like, you know. And you are kind to that person. And you, it may be a, a long road of befriending that person or a road of interacting with that person. But each time they see you, they know, oh, you're that Christian guy. Oh, something's different because you've been praying for me. And hopefully that sparks interest. Does that make sense? Okay. Where was I at? Verse 5? Is it verse 5? Oh, look at verse, okay. So he says, Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive with Christ, for by grace you've been saved. He'll come back to that in a second. Verse 6, He raised us up with him, and he seated us with him in the heavenly places. God, Paul says, listen, when Christ was made alive, you were made alive. When Christ was raised up, raised up, you were raised up. When Christ is seated in the heavenlies, guess where you're seated right now? Yeah, I'm in Phoenix, Arizona, God. What are you talking about? <laughs> no, that is a positional thing. That is where, that is where you are in Christ. If you are there with, in, in Christ, in reality, the devil can't mess with that. But here's what he can do. He can just make life miserable down here if he wants to. What's my point? Paul says that God, or I'm saying that God makes a difference to our lives. He also makes a difference towards us in the sense that um, what he does with Christ, he does with us. That's the beauty is, is we may think it's unfair that Adam sinned and yet we're suffering. Yet Christ suffered and we get the, the benefits of that. So Paul says, he says that we have been 
with Christ in those things. What's the reason for this? The reason for this is verse, uh, verse 7. So that, verse 7, in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace towards kindness in Christ Jesus. Paul says, God did this for you and to you so that even in the ages to come we will still experience the, the, the benefits of that grace that was shown to us when we first met God. Can I take a time out? I got I'm, my mouth's really thirsty. I'm, I'll finish up because we're running out of time. Paul says in verse eight, verse seven, rather, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us. Verse eight. <clears throat> well, let me just stop here real fast. I want to just think, think something through here. So <clears throat> we were dead, and God made us alive, right? In one sense, he did something in us. He put his spirit in us, right? Then he, he raised us up, seated us, and did something to us, let's say. But the last thing he's going to do is something through us. And that's where verses 8 through 10 go through. Verses 8 through 10 talking about what God wants to do through us. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Stop right there. The word that actually re- does not refer to faith. It refers to the whole process of salvation. The Greek uh, does not agree with each other. And the way the point is, the whole process of salvation is by God's by God's grace. Really, it's God's idea, God's initiative. God made the first step. He does that, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. No one's going to be in heaven say, "Hey, you know, I I did this much stuff to get here," and showing our trophies that says, "Hey, look at all my medals." You know, no one's going to boast at that. You know, we're going to boast in is Christ. We're going to boast in the finished work of Christ. We're going to boast in the fact that God is gracious. We're going to say, I was a loser and God found me. I was lost. I was this, this, this sheep that wandered away and fell off a cliff and, God, and Christ rescued me. You know that? Some of us are like that. Some of us are that sheep that wandered astray. I think it was on YouTube or Facebook recently. Somebody posted a video and there was this runner with his... his um, GoPro camera, he's running, right? And he hears this, this little lamb. He's running in some rough terrain, right? And this lamb had wandered away, and literally there's cliffs, you know? So this guy is, you know, going down there. That poor, this poor lamb would not have made it. This poor lamb was out there. The wolves would have gotten her, or if it was a she, I guess. And, and it was st- no way. And poor mama, mama lamb, or what's the mama sheep? Mama sheep, right? What's it called? The you. The Hey, you. hey, you guys, right? Uh, <laughs> the mama you is it can't find her, her, and there's no way. And this runner, I can imagine Jesus being a runner. You know, look, rescue, that's like Jesus rescuing us. You know, some of us were like that. In other words, my point is is that we're not going to boast in what we did. We're going to boast and praise God for what He did. But look at this, verse ten. He saved us. He saved us. Um, out of all that, and then verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. The Greek actually starts by saying his, we are. It emphasizes that we are his. 
His workmanship uh, is what we are. We were lost. He found us. Right? We, everything in this chapter, or actually first, first chapter as well, emphasizes what God has done. His workmanship we are. The word workmanship is poema, which means uh, creation. We are his creation in Christ Jesus. And we are created for good works that he wants to do through us. So here's the thing. He's the difference in our lives. He's the difference to us, in us, to us, and now through us. Why? Because through us, then, he doesn't want to take us, he wants to take us, takes us from the point of being walking in the course of the world, whatever that looks like, to the point of walking in the ways of God. Okay? Now, here's the, here's the thing. He wants to use us. Okay. I'm still learning this. Okay. I'm still learning. Now, I'm in the Bible all the time, right? I'm still learning what it, what, that I still need to work personally on things like love and, and patience and kindness and gentleness. I still need to... Come on, Lord, I got a master's degree, right? I've been teaching. I'm in your Bible. I still need to... And my heart still needs... I, there's still those areas. It's like the, the coffee grounds, you know, and the water percolates or supposed to go through it. There's still areas that, that the Word of God is still trying to work in my heart, work in my heart, work in my heart. I'm still learning that. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Because as He does, this work, uh, does that work in me, through me, I, through me, He, through, through, through the work He does in me, I can do these, I can, the good works are more than just doing it sort of spreading the spirit, the, the, the gifts of the spirit. Does that make sense? Um, yes, it may you know, involve doing good works for people and whatever, but really the work of God is to change your heart so that, that the, the work of the spirit comes out. He, go, he takes us from walking the ways of the world to now walking like Christ and walking with Christ. And I can, I can appreciate even the disciples who walk with Jesus for three and a half years and they still, at the end of the three and a half years, they still needed help. They're still arguing about who's right and who's, who, who's going to sit next to Jesus. You're right? Who's going to sit next to Jesus? Okay, some of us have been walking with the Lord a long time and we're still learning, right? Lord, I realize I, am, I need some help in these areas of my heart. I got some... I got some pride going on, Lord. I am not teachable in these areas, Lord. I think I know it all, you know. The difference is this, is that, is that God has created us so that we would walk by, by His Holy Spirit power and work through us to be an impact, whether it's at a waitress at a restaurant or our wives at our children or a perfect stranger. That's the power of God. He takes us being slaves in Egypt, to be in his children, though imperfect, but walking with him, leaning on his power, leaning on his strength, asking for help, being brutally honest with God and say, Lord, I don't like this, and help me out with my heart, and it's really that work that's still going on. And he, will, guess what? The thing I love about this is that the work of God is, is a complete work. It is a complete work. Do not give up praying for your husband. Do not give up praying for your spouse. Do not give up praying for your children. You keep on your knees and praying. and keep. You know something? It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Lord God. It's his presence that will make the difference. The Lord God will make the difference. He will answer your prayers. He will change your heart. It will happen in his time and his way. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, God. 
Thank you, Lord, that you are the difference maker, Lord. You are the one that makes a difference, Lord. Before you, we were in slaves. We were in sin. We were in bondage. We were going, we were in wrath, God. We were, we were in bad shape, Lord. But, but you came into our lives, Lord. You invited our lives, Lord, and we are so thankful for that, God. Thank you, Lord, for the work that you have done in us and to us and the work that you're doing through us, Lord, and the work that you are developing in our hearts, Lord. And Lord, today, Lord, I want to pray, Lord, that you would... Help us, Lord, to walk in dependency on the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, that you're the difference maker, Lord. Thank you, Lord, when people see us before we knew you, they say, where is that coming from? It's because of you, God. You're the one who makes the difference. You deserve the glory. And Lord, when we get to heaven, we want to cast our crowns at your feet. We are thankful to you, God. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound 